Well, hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us uh, here for episode 25 of Ask Us Anything. I'm Mark Graben from Kinexus, and I'm joined by Greg Jacobson, also from Kinexus. So we've got a bunch of questions, and uh, but you know, first off, though, uh, we, we don't really well, we didn't have uh, balloons or party favors or streamers or a big big balloons behind us. But this is our 25th episode. I guess that's worth at least recognizing. <laughs> yeah, I would. You know, a, a number is a number, but it's certainly a quarter of the way to a century. And I don't think when we started this experiment, we would have thought we'd be still doing this at 25 episodes and over 200 questions, I think our list is mm -hmm. um, up to. So that's that's really exciting. Yeah. And the first one was in November 2015. And yeah, like you said, we did it as a one off and the questions keep pouring in. We still have a backlog of questions. We'll keep doing that. We'll keep trying to answer as long as people keep asking. Right. Do you agree, Greg? We'll keep doing Absolutely. them. Absolutely. I'm right. I'm checking in with our with our audio person to make sure our audio is coming through. That would be one of the checklist items. Um, All right. Yes. So we are big fans of checklists <laughs> within the team at Kinexus and what we're doing here for these uh, sessions. So um, the first question, though, and it's kind of in the spirit of uh, ask us anything. We get fun questions sometimes. Do you dress up for Halloween? Greg, do you do you dress up for Halloween or do you but you admit that you're dressing up for Halloween? Yeah, I mean, I, I assume they made a costume, not like putting on a suit, right? <laughs> I have gotten better since I have a daughter, but for many years, I just it was just another day for me. And uh, but she is very creative in her different costumes, and so. Last year, it was a dragon, and I'm looking forward to seeing what she's going <laughs> to throw together this year. What about you, Mark? Are you you dress up? Uh, we we do. You know, we, we don't have kids, but we've fallen into the, the, the trend of going to um, Halloween or going to Halloween parties. A friend of ours has been throwing a party um, for a number of years. So people do fun couples costumes. My wife and I. Um, and it, it amused us. I think like other frequent flyers understood the reference better than we did. But we went as zombie business travelers. <laughs> we feel that way sometimes. I both was going to say, I definitely felt that way. <laughs> so we wore, uh, she had a pair of Qantas pajamas that they give you in business class. I had a pair of an American Airlines pajamas kind of put dirt makeup and fake blood on them and we had fake mm. tattoos and I sprayed some green stuff in my hair. And um, we, so anyway, we, <laughs> everyone else was like, what? We don't get it. I'm like, oh, okay, it makes us laugh. So that's why we did it. <laughs> I guess I haven't seen a zombie airplane scene or movie. That would be interesting. An interesting idea for a movie in general. Zombies on a plane. That could be mm -hmm. a follow up to snakes on a plane. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, since my wife uh, had the Qantas pajamas, we were joking that apparently the zombie outbreak started in Australia. And thanks to her flying home, she brought it home with us. I love it. So we did that. And um, unlike last year's webinar where I was in costume, no plans to do that this year. If anyone's interested in that, then go back into the, uh, the, the presentation webinar library. That was out of control, Mark. 
<laughs> it was indeed um, out of control. So I'll, I'll post a link to that in the uh, the chat box. It was uh, why metrics and statistics don't have to be scary, which uh, which I thought was was a good topic. And most everyone liked the costume and the effort. Why not? Since it was done literally presented on Halloween Day last year. All right. So now the uh, the more kind of continuous improvement related content questions. Um, so here's a question from Kristen. How important is it to have a single accepted methodology at an organization? For example, PDCA or DMAIC. My belief is that methodologies are mostly the same. However, confusion can exist with employees if we have more than one. So I, I, you know, I'll start off and say, yeah, I, I agree that you understand there is that risk of confusion. I, I think beyond the risk of confusion, there's the risk of people thinking, this is part of the flavor of the month. <clears throat> if the organization had really embraced one acronym or one methodology, and now they're introducing another. But you know, I think one way of trying to eliminate some of that confusion is using a really broad label that's consistent over time. So whether for you or your organization, if, if things like operational excellence or business performance excellence or uh, process improvement or business transformation, um, you can then, I think, kind of synthesize mm -hmm. different approaches under that common banner. You could start with small Kaizen improvements, and then you could add DMAIC. You could add maybe A3 problem solving, and you could use DMAIC as the framework for the A3 template. Um, you know, I think as long as you maybe, you know, kind of introduce new methods as being additive to what you've had before, that maybe mitigates some of that risk. Yeah, I think the the more consistent you can be in your methodology throughout an organization, I think the greater the chance that you're going to spread improvement and, and spread that, that behavior and culture. And so what we find is that organizations that have very fragmented pockets that have not unified along some different methodologies or at least some different uh, unified along different um, or unified with language so you can you know understand what you're talking about when you're you know talking about a large scale a3 or or something along those lines it ends up creating silos I mean imagine if people were trying to speak all a different language um, and uh, one of the one of the interesting things that we see, when we're onboarding a new customer is that there is this kind of discovery process that organizations that have been doing improvement work in different pockets will discover, oh, how, how do your forms look and how do you do this? And then it does foster a lot of conversation on trying to unify. I think the most important thing is, is just not to get hung up. There's, there's really a whole bunch of different ways to catch a butterfly and I think the more important thing is, is that, you know, the ball just keeps moving forward. So, yeah, and I think the other thing I would add about consistency, I mean, I think we can introduce new tools, if you will. Sorry, you just saw my fidget baseball that I sometimes hold and uh, juggle while I'm talking. But I thought it was off camera and then I realized it, it creeped in. Um, but it, is, it, we, it helps to have consistent principles. Mm -hmm. Right. So if we have consistent principles such as you know, focus on the customer, try to engage everybody, engage the people that do the work, 
um, try to eliminate fear from the organization. Like certain foundational bedrock uh, principles like that hopefully stay consistent and we can use different methodologies within that context. I, I think the, the, the image that I like the most that you share is the, the different balls on that one slide. And it kind of shows kind of small improvements and medium scale improvements and large improvements. So I think the big thing is, is that you have some type of methodology. Hopefully it's consistent that deals with small, local, quick, rapid fire changes. You have something on medium and then you have something large scale. And then it, and then you have something that aligns them all. You're not going to have all these from day one. That's the nirvana state that you're going to you know, your journey is going to take you to. And uh, the, the more consistent that they can be, I, I mean, I agree with this question. I think that there'll, there'll be a lot of rewards for that. I would probably say if, if, if people can't agree on something, I'd, I'd rather just people do something than do uh -huh. nothing and, and kind of degrade into just disagreeing on tools yeah. and nomenclature and yeah, well, one of the other risks is that you get turf battles within an organization. So some organizations have a combined Lean Six Sigma methodology. When I worked at my, the last manufacturing company I worked for 15 years ago, they had a, a program that they called Lean Six Sigma Plus, but they would train and certify people either in Lean, which is the path I went. There's a plaque on the wall behind me, see if I can put my <laughs> finger there. There's a certification plaque there. And then you had Six Sigma people. And thankfully that didn't break down into turf battles around, well, you know, the lean people don't want the Six Sigma to get people to get credit for anything. Like that would be really dysfunctional. But I was gonna show, um, since you mentioned that diagram, I happen to have a copy of the Executive Guide of Executive Guide to Healthcare Kaizen here, gratuitous plug. And here's, yep. here's a diagram that shows different size bubbles to help illustrate small problems, medium-sized problems, big problems. And, you know, proportionally, there are generally lots and lots of little improvements. Robinson and Schroeder in their research have shown there's an 80-20 rule. About 80% of the benefit to an organization comes from those smaller frontline staff-driven improvements. And the risk is that organizations that only focus on big projects or big transformational changes are, are losing and missing out on that potential. Where where can you read about that research? I was talking with someone recently at Kinexicon last month and it came up and I know it's referenced in Alan Robinson's book, but I'm sure it's referenced in other places. Yeah, um, their most recent book uh, is called The Idea Driven Organization by mm -hmm. Alan Robinson and Dean Schroeder. Okay, okay, that's really? where it is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there might be other places they've written about that or published that. Yeah. But you could search um, Robinson Schroeder 8020 improvement, and I bet that would come right. up. And, and it's not the Pareto 8020. Uh, it's coincidentally 8020, is what they found researching right. multiple companies and multiple industries in, in different countries, even. All right, so um, we're gonna move on. We have another question from Tanya. She said, hi, I'm really interested to know how does Kinexus differentiate from a project management software like monday.com or Asana? So Greg, I'll let you tackle that one. Yeah, perfect. I get this question a lot, especially when people ask me what I do 
And I explained a little bit of Kinexus in our, the proverbial elevator pitch. And then, and then I mean, the human brain, the human brain likes to categorize things and we understand something by differentiating it. And so that's kind of a natural question. And I think anytime you, you look at any task management, project management, um, any really workflow management software, there's going to be overlap, right? I mean, you're going to all log in. There's going to be either to-dos or items. Um, I think where the main differentiation is, is that from the ground up, Kinexus has been designed to help organizations do continuous improvement work, right? So, so there's a huge differentiation in the ability to give permissions on what you can and can't do in the system. Huge um, differences on notifications and notification preferences. Um, huge differences in how do you track and measure the impact of the work. Um, very different uh, reporting um, suite in, in Kinexus. And so when you are trying to do collaborative work with maybe five or, or 10 or 20 people, and it's not specifically continuous improvement work, you could probably use um, some of the, the, the um, types of software that, that you mentioned. When you start getting into doing very specific work related to improvement work and then doing that at scale across hundreds and, and thousands and then tens of thousands of people and then trying to report on that and really create the behaviors and emulate a methodology that you either had in the paper system or are, are creating in the digital system, you immediately start to realize that um, having a system that's been optimized for that is really key. I, I, I love to say that you, you literally could manage an entire electronic medical records um, in Dropbox if you wanted to. I mean, you theoretically could be, with folder structures. Might not be HIPAA but, compliant, but you could, right? My, my, I don't even know if, if Dropbox or, or Bot, but but it might not be. But but I think the point is is that you can use the wrong tool or platform to do. Th I mean, I can I can use a big wrench as a hammer. It's not optimized to do that. But um, yeah, and that. Well, I, I think, think that I mean, pretty much summarizes the thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing that I would add, you know, even Kinexus started with roots in those small bubbles, the small Kaizen improvements. Customers are doing multiple levels of improvement. So they've pulled on Kinexus to add the ability to manage and track A3s and larger projects because um, you know, it's it's sort of uh, it's all of the above in terms of small, medium, large. I, I think a lot of times something that's created as project management shows a bias toward the larger initiatives. And, um, you know, and, and then sometimes this isn't just about software. This is about organizational assumptions where I've coached a couple of organizations that had a long habit of process improvement, meaning projects. It was almost more like total quality management and quality circle projects that would go on for six months in a year. And that power of habit in terms of language is really challenging. So when we would start talking about small Kaizens and they would keep calling them projects, I'm like, well, this isn't a project. <laughs> right, it might right. be uh, a just do it, pardon the finger quotes, or I like to say a just PDSA it. Even yeah. if it's a small improvement, well, there's still a plan, do, study, adjust evaluation. 
And, and I think that's a great example of something that's seemingly so small that actually has a pretty profound impact that you, in Kinexus, for instance, all of that terminology is configurable. So one, you're not using kind of generic task management or project management terminology, but two, you can actually tailor it to your organization and um, kind of brand it um, exactly the way you have been doing that work. So anyway, I think to wrap up this question also, Tanya, there's lots of different ways that you can you can get a demo in Kinexus and and really kind of open the hood, if you will, and, and take a look or, or take it for a trust drive that I think could probably answer that um, yeah. even better. But yeah, so we'll, we'll follow up with her. And, and from the domain address in her email, she's from the Dominican Republic, which goes to show how universal and global these continuous improvement approaches uh, really are. So thank you. I, don't think, I think that's the first question we've gotten from the Dominican Republic. So thank you oh. for that, Tanya. Um, we've got a question that uh, I believe comes from California. Lily asks, how do we measure engagement? Besides once every two year surveys, what about culture change? So, I mean, I think we this is a question we get a lot. I know we've covered this in a previous Ask Us Anything, but the thing I really like going back to is measuring the number of implemented improvements, mm -hmm. I think is a great real-time proxy for engagement and how successfully you're creating a culture of continuous improvement. And you can see those numbers go up. Maybe it's just fluctuating around an average. We could use um, process behavior charts and other methods to try to avoid overreacting to every up and down. But um, I, I think that is a really useful way of measuring engagement. I would still keep doing the surveys, but I would hope, you know, there's certain things in those standard employee engagement surveys, like my ideas are valued at work and things like that. I would expect those survey indicators to skyrocket after two years of really practicing continuous improvement. What do you think, Greg? I think I think that's excellent. You you mentioned implemented improvements, and mm -hmm. we have been I think for four years now been picking a BHAG, uh, a big hairy audacious goal, out of the the Collins um, um, writings. Jim Collins. Yeah, um, writings, and uh, that that BHAG that we all have gotten behind, and we can't think of a better one every year because it just means that that uh, the engagement of the cultures of all of our customers are doing well is number of completed improvements. Yeah. And we have been attempting to literally double that every year and not double how many we did in the prior year, but double the amount we did in the, in the history of Kinexus every single year. And right. little worried we're going to miss it a little bit this year, but even missing it a little bit this year still means that, we probably doubled or tripled from what we did last year. So um, I, I think that's an excellent way to measure engagement. I think what's what's interesting about this question also is that engagement really is a measure in many ways of culture, if you will, because when people say, oh, well, we don't have the right culture to be able to do that yet, I, I'm always confused well, by that. And I'm always like, well, how do you think you develop a culture? You know, culture is the the summation of all of the actions we take. Right. I love the Seth Godin expression. He always says, um, "Culture is people like us do things like this." 
And so if you're trying to um, understand why do you care about engagement, you care about engaging, you care about engagement because you're trying to you know, create a culture, you're trying to make sure that, that everyone is, is, is participating. Um, there's no better way than to, to see what well, are improvements being, being implemented. Um, a couple of the other reports that we have in Kinexus is kind of login rates. We have um, use so you can see, I think there's two concepts for engagement because for example, in, I can start dissecting your completed improvements or your implemented improvements number. So for example, if I said, oh, well, an organization has 100 people and they did 100 improvements last year in organization A and in organization B, they did 100 improvements and they have 100 people. And I asked you, well, which, which has a better culture, which has a better engagement? You would say, oh, they're about, about the same. But what if I then told you that in organization A, it was 10 people that did all 100, but in organization B, it was 80 people that did all 100? What's better engagement? I, I would argue organization B is actually better engagement because far more people are involved. Yeah, I mean, a lot of organizations focus on another thing you can measure is ideas per person per year. But you, you raise an interesting point. Percent participation um, might be something else to look at. And then there's the question of how you define participation. You know, right. suggestion box systems, one of their downfalls was that one person got credit. Where I think in healthy Kaizen cultures, like I saw again recently, at Franciscan Health in Indianapolis, and a lot of our Kinexus customers do this. If you had input, if you participated in some way, that counts as participation because why not? Why not give that recognition and credit? Because there's some people that are really good at the initial observation, and then there are some people that are really good at the creative problem solving. There's some people really good at implementing. There's some people really good at just communicating and broadcasting a success and, and trying to spread that to other org areas of the organization. So, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, by all means, do not punish people because they don't have the idea or they weren't the primary implementer. To me, it's as long as they're participating in, in some way, I yeah. think people should get to use the quotes credit for participating. And, and, and along those lines... Part of the point of a big, hairy, audacious goal is you don't punish people for not hitting the big, right. hairy, audacious goal. It's like what some people might call a stretch goal. It's meant to help drive efforts to uh, – well, there's an old uh, – I think it's the, the old Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame Super Bowl winning coach Vince Lombardi. I'm paraphrasing it. When we aim for perfection, we might achieve excellence. I love that. That's yeah. fine, right? Nobody's perfect. Toyota's not. It's perfect. not a zero-sum game uh, kind of equation. So, yeah. Okay, so we got a question from Arnaldo, who works in the financial services industry, which is interesting to see. Um, how do you start a successful deployment of an OPEX or operational excellence culture? What are some of the must-dos and the steps to avoid on this journey? So, um, you know, I would add. I mean, especially if you're in a large really distributed organization, or even if you're a single site that's really large, like a hospital or a factory, there's something to be said for starting somewhere, that you have a model area um, where, where you're trying to uh, create an OPEX culture, a culture of continuous improvement, uh, a lean management system, whatever you want to call it, and try to prove that it works, and then try to spread and roll it out from there. 
I think though there, the, you know, uh, there's risk if you're starting locally and very senior executives aren't on board with principles and mindsets and approaches that the great work you're doing locally in a model area could inadvertently get squashed by the predominant culture of the organization. So I think you can, you can start somewhere, but I think it's ideal to start when you've got that upper level support that says, yes, this is the, the vision for the whole company, but we're going to start somewhere instead of trying to roll it out and change the culture through proclamation. I, I think that doesn't work. And I think it's important to note that I mean, if you're in a huge organization, getting leadership um, buy-in slash getting them on board, it, I mean, that doesn't have to be in the, the top echelons. I mean, if you're in a place that has you know, 500 people at the in, in this area, by all means, getting the leaders at that level, um, I think I think that naturally the highest up, most you know, I'll use the word powerful, probably the right word is influential leader is is really ideal. Um, but don't 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 not do it because you have a, a leader of 50 or 100 people. Um, the, I think the important thing is, is is that leader recognizes that one of the goals that they're going to have to have is get their model cell going and then go up even higher up in the organization. Because to, to get the whole organization on board, we see it over and over and over. You have to have leadership um, participation, not just a rubber stamp, right. but actual daily in some way, even if it's five or 10 minutes a day, but it has to be front of mind. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, we won't be able to squeeze in one more question and then we'll make a few announcements. Can I, can I just say two other things on that question, yeah. steps to avoid? Um, I, I would, don't overanalyze something. So don't spend two years trying to create the perfect system and mm -hmm. we're going to put everyone through two days of training. And then once finally everyone's there, then I just, we haven't seen that work. So come up with the realization that you're going to be going from kind of model cell, whether it's 20, 50, 100, 200 people, and then going in and doing that as a PDSA pretty rapidly. Um, as the, the more rapid you can, you can do it in a meaningful way, the more you'll learn as an organization. So if you, if you say, oh, we're going to take two years to plan on doing this, well, that's, that's the wrong step. But also, if, if you think you're going to spread this to 10,000 people in two weeks, that's also there, there's going to be a Goldilocks sort of thing here. So um, and it's it's going to relate to what's the need of the organization, what's the support of the leadership and um, how much resources the organization is going to put to this. I can almost see like a, a three variable kind of graph being made on how quickly you can go based on based on those um, three, three points. OK, sorry. That, those were the other, uh, the other two yeah, things I want to make sure we talk about. Great, great, great addition there. Um, so our final question um, comes, uh, there's another question from Lynn, who's uh, from Vietnam, and she's, uh, the, the, I think it's she, but Lynn, I'm sorry, Lynn has asked questions uh, before, apologize if I said she incorrectly, but um, what are the success criteria of a continuous improvement organization in terms of leaders, skills, behaviors, et cetera? So that, that reminds us of something we talk about a lot at Kinexus and always have, right, Craig? Yeah, there's what we've noticed, and, and, and this has been, I think, a really fun part 
of this journey that that we've been on, and, and Mark has has been on it as long as um, as almost anyone at Kinex other than Matt or I, and we just preceded him just by a little bit, is that we we've learned a lot. I mean, aside from literally speaking with thousands of organizations, we've had the opportunity to work with hundreds of organizations now, and uh, we've had the opportunity to understand what are the elements that we see consistently in organizations that are doing activity and doing work that I think, you know, 10 out of 10 people would say, well, that's successful. If we could do that at our organization, that's successful, or we're successful when we do that. And, and it really revolves around three areas. And there's behaviors, which is really the people. I mean, it's, it's this kind of concept of people, process and technology, right? So it's behaviors of people. And we really focus on the behaviors of leaders because the, if the leaders have the right behaviors, it will create a ultimately a methodology. And if you keep that methodology simple, um, between the people and, and the methodology, um, you will create a culture of, uh, of improvement. And then you're obviously not going to, this is not going to be an oral tradition. It's going to need to be logged and communicated. And if, if your technology that you pick can help support that, um, you're going to you're going to see that explosion. And so um, we we've talked before in the past about well, what's technology. Well, you know, paper's technology was only invented 600 years ago and our, our printing was only invented 600 years ago in a in a meaningful way. And um, and obviously Word and Excel and bulletin boards, those are all technologies that we're using. And so it, just make sure you're using a technology that that really makes this work and tracking the work and, and reporting on the work easier because the, the, the more the technology can help you do those, the higher the success you're going to have um, in your organization. And so um, that, that's, to, to me, what you're going to realize with the, with the success criteria. When you have those three things in sync, there's going to yeah. be a, an explosion, um, if you will, or, or, or certainly a, a significant momentum. Right. Then people's minds might be blown. This <laughs> right? A good explosion. A good All right. Idea. So, yeah. So um, that was well said. So I'll. I'm fully aligned with what you said. So we'll just leave it at that because we are at the bottom of the hour. We try to keep these uh, fairly short. Um, we will do one again pretty soon. Uh, hopefully, we we tend to do these about every two months or so. We've got questions coming up there in the the queue here from uh, the. Canada, the U.S., Vietnam again, Denmark, healthcare, different industries. So it's really cool to see. So we want to thank everybody for the questions and, and thank you for tuning in. I want to tell you uh, real quickly about a couple of upcoming webinars for Kinexus customers. Uh, oh, but this is coming up on October 31st, the Kinexus training team office hours with Ryan Rippey and Matt Banna. Are they, are they going to wear costumes, Greg? I'll have to ask. I mean, it is October 31st. So mm -hmm. uh, again, Kinexus users, Kinexus customers, you can register for that at kinexus.com slash webinars. And then open to everybody our next presentation style webinar. These are hour long webinars also at one o'clock Eastern on November 19th. Um, there's a webinar titled Leadership Behaviors to Guide Effective Change. And that's gonna be presented by Ritu Ward, she is a regional vice president 
uh, for Mercy Labs. So she's in the healthcare uh, industry. Um, she's a medical technologist. She's a Six Sigma black belt. Um, she's a fellow in the American College of Healthcare Executives. So um, she's she's quite accomplished. And um, like our other presenters, I, I'm sure she's going to have a lot of great stuff to share. So again, you can go kinexus.com slash webinars and you can register right now. So Greg, uh, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and wrap up. I always stumble with, I know there's a certain way we like to try to end these things and and I, I'll, I'll let you do it because Rippy and Banna do it better than I do. And well, um, yeah, there's I mean, there's no way we're going to be able to compete with uh, those professionals. So, so well, I I usually like to indicate that, that that there is no better day than today than to start spreading continuous improvement. So keep on keeping on, and uh, we'll see you Kai next time. There it is. That's the line. We'll see you Kai next time. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Mark.